Good afternoon, my renegades. Welcome back to Rogue Radio. My name is Sarah Jane, and how are you guys today? I've been working very hard on the next uh, episode of Conspiracy, but um, there's just so much to take notes on, um, so I kind of took a break. So today, we're going to do Rogue News. Again, jump in the trenches with me, and let's just get into all of this. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to click on any of the links, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email, GoFundMe, whatever, YouTube as well, and Twitch. Uh, yeah, so if you uh, want to hang out, or if you want to talk, if you want to talk to me, have any opinion, go ahead and contact me there. OAN News is my main source, so if you buy it, don't like it, feel free not to listen. Not sure about a refund, but you're welcome to diss it. Sorry, John Rubin, it had to be done, so yes. If you don't like it, go ahead and turn it off. It is a Republican news site, so yes. Non-biased. Let's go. Okay, yes, I know I'm on 100 today, but guess what? That's the best form of myself that I can give today because sometimes I don't have the mental capacity to even, or emotional capacity to even do this. But let's just go. Earlier yesterday, I saw that on work, at work, I was watching TV. Yes. And, um,. Biden and Vladimir Putin actually met and started talking about some stuff. Don't know what it is. Let's go find out together. Okay. It says, Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin deliver mixed messages about Geneva meeting. Okay. Joe Biden and Russian Vladimir Putin uh, arrived to meet at the Villa Lagrange Wednesday, June 16th, 2021 in Geneva, Switzerland. Hello, Switzerland. I know you guys are listening. How are you? Uh, Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin avoided to take any strong uh, stances following their summit in Geneva on Wednesday. Putin held a press conference after their meeting, which was shortly followed by Biden's. One of the topics both covered was cybersecurity. The Russian leader denied his country was the largest cyber threat in the globe. Uh, According to U.S. sources, the majority of cyber attacks on the world are performed from U.S. cyberspace, he explained. Russia is not listed among the cyber spaces where the majority of cyber attacks come from. Senator Bill Haggerty tweeted, unclear uh, what was achieved today no agreement from Putin to stop cyber attacks on U.S. infrastructure. No agreement to respect Ukrainian sovereignty. No agreement to free Navalny. All right. Putin knows he doesn't have to concede anything when Biden is willing to seek a stable and predictable relationship at all costs. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, although Biden appeared to double down by... Warning, if possible, retaliation uh, if Russia were to launch cyber attacks against American infrastructure. Uh, I talked about the proposition uh, that certain critical infrastructures should be off-limits to attack, period, by cyber or any other means, he asserted. 16 Pacific specific <laughs> uh, entities... 16 defined as critical infrastructure under U.S. policy from the energy sector uh, to our water systems. Both politicians seem to express the meeting went well. Biden described the meeting as positive, while Putin expressed there will be a general understanding between the interests of each country. I think that we speak the same language on the whole but it doesn't mean that we should look into each other's souls. 
eyes. I swear eternal love and friendship, he mentioned. Wait, who said that? Biden or Putin? Not at all. We protect interests of our countries and our people, and those relationships are pragmatic, first of all. All right, let's see here. Biden and Putin seem to be testing the waters during their meet by discussing varying topics without uh, coming to any solid agreements. So they just kind of tiptoed through the tulips, right? Walking on eggshells for each other. That ain't gonna get anything done, but okay. What the two will accomplish moving forward is still up to, or still up in the air. Both say, okay, hang on, but both say this meeting sets the foundation for future discussions. Well, okay. Our leader of the free world, Donald Trump, the king, the king of the Red Kingdom, has spoken. So yes, we must go and listen to him. I shall read. Let me see. President Trump, Joe Biden is making disastrous G7 deals that are costing our country trillions. Yes, yes. President Trump criticized his successor's performance at the G7 summit during an appearance in, on conservative journalist Sarah Carter's podcast on Wednesday. Bro, can, can you come on Rogue Radio? Trump, please. That'd be great. Anyway, let me stop being such a child. Let me reread this again. I'm just hyper. President Trump criticized his successor's performance at the G7 summit during an appearance on conservative journalist Sarah Carter's podcast on Wednesday. Trump weighed in on the gathering of the world leaders by arguing they're stealing our country. This comes after Joe Biden took several jabs at Trump during the summit by suggesting a new sense of enthusiasm among foreign allies uh, that the U.S. engaged on world issues. Trump refuted the apparent criticism and pointed out that the many flaws he noticed from Biden's handling a foreign policy. Sarah A. Carter tweeted, Trump and Biden making disaster G7 deals that are costing our country trillions. I'm going to click the link real quick because it will probably ask you um, about the G7 summit. Uh, it's been, I mean, it's been wild. I've been watching it. Uh, President Biden has had an enormous amount of gas. Um, he has actually been laughed at right now. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. Um, your expertise is in economics and business. When you see what's happening at the G7 summit, what's going through your mind? They're stealing our country. He's going into deals that are a disaster, costing us trillions of dollars. And we have to rebuild our own bridges and our own roads. He wants to rebuild the world. And uh, he's, he's killing our country. And obviously, People are looking at what's happening and they're watching him and uh, it's not a good situation. Oh, no, no, no. All right, that was Sarah Carter's podcast. It just looks like it's just Sarah Carter. And you can find that on iHeartRadio and Spotify. I'm pretty sure you can find it on other platforms as well. Have to shout her out because I support every creator that I use information from. Have to, have to. Okay, he's going into details that are disaster costing us trillions of dollars and we have to rebuild our own bridges and our own roads, he expressed. He wants to rebuild the world and he's killing our country. Trump went on to argue he was the strongest ever on Russia and accused Democrat lawmakers of preventing the U.S. from making deals with Russia by alluding to their previous investigations into both the 2016 Trump campaign and Russia. And that is the message from our real leader of the free world, the king of the Red Kingdom, Donald Trump.
Okay, this last one is about uh, Biden lashing out at the press in Geneva, Switzerland. So let's uh, let's go and talk about that because I like embarrassing Biden. He's he's funny to embarrass. Anyway, CNN Zeleny criticizes Biden for attacking reporters in Geneva. Says Biden involved in abusive press. So. CNN actually bad-mouthed the man that they actually praised. That's interesting. What's going on? All right. An unusual turn of it. <laughs> In an unusual turn of events, CNN has been criticizing Joe Biden for lashing out at the press and avoiding answering their questions. We have seen President Biden do without his aides screaming at him to stop, said CNN's Jeff Zeleny. I have never seen a president covering the last four of them so protected by his aides. Uh, his remarks came after Biden only answered questions from a selected list of reporters, yet got into a confrontation with CNN's Caitlin Collins in Geneva on Wednesday. Subsequently, uh, Zeleny said attacking reporters is typical of Joe Biden. Yeah. Yep. CNN's Jeff Zeleny on Biden snapping at Caitlin Collins. That was classic Joe Biden in both respects. I have never seen a president covering the last four of them who is so protected by his aides in terms of often not wanting him to answer some questions. And this is a video and I will play it real quick. Yeah, so Biden's continuing abuse of reporters as well as the subordinates is now stirring further concerns for his mental stability and fitness for office. Yeah, yeah, there's people talking about reinstating Trump to being president again, which I really hope happens because, um, yeah, I don't really need to express why I want that. But anyway, um, yeah, no, it's not typical. I mean, it, I mean, it is. I'm trying to say it's not it's not rare to see Biden attack somebody um, when they ask a question that he's not ready for. Um, it's yeah, it's spot on. Whatever that reporter said when he said, you know, bro, um, this is typical Biden. If he hears something that he don't want to hear, of course, he's going to snap. Um, I want to say during the election race, um, Biden really, really snapped at some people because they talked about his son, Hunter. Like, don't talk about his son, Hunter. Like, bro, don't talk about his son, Hunter, because he will go AWOL. Um, I've seen him snap at somebody calling him fat and everything. I'm just like, you're supposed to be the president why are you why are you doing that like i don't understand but then again you know joe biden has dementia we know this right do we cue the shameless plug for anchor okay before i go on to the next uh, segment of Rogue News, I want to be able to record the YouTube video of what 
this dispute was. So, give me a second. Okay, I found it. Let's do it. I see here. Why are you so confident he'll change his behavior, Mr. President? Yeah, I'm not confident he'll change his behavior. What the hell? What do you do all the time? So what did I say I was confident? I said, I said, what I said was, let's get it straight. I said, what will change their behavior is that the rest of the world reacts to them and it diminishes their standing in the world. I'm not confident of anything. I'm just stating the fact. But given his past behavior has not changed, and in that press conference after sitting down with you for several hours, he denied any involvement in cyber attacks, he downplayed human rights abuses, he even refused to say Alessi Navalny's name. So how does that account to a constructive meeting as a president? President Putin, prior You don't understand that, you're in the wrong business. Is there something with China? Never ask a positive question. Why, in fact, having agreement? We'll find out. We have an agreement to work on a major arms control agreement. I started working on arms control agreements back all the way during the Cold War. If we could <laughs> do one in the Cold War, why couldn't we do one now? We'll see. We will see whether or not it happens. But what do you, I mean, the thing that always amazed me about the questions, and I apologize for having been short on if you were in my position, would you say, well, I don't think, man, anything's going to happen. It's going to be really rough. I think it's going to really be bad. You guarantee nothing happens. You guarantee nothing happens. So, so, plus ultra! There's a value to being realistic and put on an optimistic front, an optimistic face. I'm going to drive you all crazy. <laughs> because I know you want me to always put a negative thrust on things, particularly in public, and negotiate in public. I don't have to trust somebody. We didn't have to trust somebody to get start to. Okay, that was from Politico. And uh, we're going to read some comments, because I thought it was funny. So let's see here. Nothing like getting an ad for TikTok nurses before watching King Potato. <laughs> wow. Wow, we just got owned by Putin. Old Corn Pop wasn't <laughs> a bad dude, I guess. Hit him some hard questions like you did to Trump. Jingle Joe, you know he blows. Sleepy Joe is all butthurt, lol. If you ain't Putin, you ain't- oh. I don't know if I should say that one. Never mind. If you guys know, you know. <laughs> wow, he's nuts. Half of US voters can't be this stupid. Clearly adjusts his earpiece. Boiled Potato Joe. I've got to use that now. <laughs> what an embarrassment to Americans. Just imagine the media crap storm if Trump had said this. Putin laughing all the way to the bank, lol. The bogus basement buffoon sure is a goon. Oh my gosh, I love these little rhymes, they're funny. Lunatic. He's an old, ineffectual bully. <laughs> Alright, that's enough. I'm, I'm just now scrolling through it all. Anyway, here comes the next segment, the second segment that I have no idea, it's unpredictable. It might be positive, it might be weird, it might be strange, it might be just random. You know what, let's do weird news. We haven't done anything like that ever on Rogue News. Everything's been really serious, so let's find out if we can find some interesting and strange and weird news that I can talk about. Yeah. Okay, found one. That wasn't too long. <laughs> Nebraska man makes 60 naked skydiving jumps in 24 hours. June 17th, a Nebraska man set a new world record by completing 60 skydiving jumps in 24 hours while dressed in nothing but his safety equipment. That must really hurt. Continue reading. That's hilarious. Oh no, come on. I want to keep reading. Continue reading. Why can't I read this? Oh no. Okay, here we go. Finally got it to work. 
Ryan Kanoff of Omaha said he contacted Guinness Book of World War. Uh, my God, Guinness World Records uh, about setting the record for most naked skydiving jumps in 24 hours, and the group said he could create the new record category if he performed at least 25 jumps in the time period. Um, Kanoff uh, <laughs> said it's an informal tradition for skydivers to perform their hundredth jump in the nude. And he came up with the idea to set the naked skydiving record as a fundraiser for a mental health charity after the recent death. Oh, I'm sorry. As a recent death of a friend. I I'm really sorry that he lost his friend. Trust me, I'm not trying to laugh at that. It's just kind of it's funny and ironic that he decided to do this naked for mental health because I'm sure there's a lot of people there watching him like, oh, he's crazy, but no disrespect for him losing his friend. I'm really sorry for that. That is very serious. My friend that we lost to mental health issues was about that close to his 100th jump. Aww, Kenoff told KOL on TV. Um, close enough that he talked about it all the time and he didn't get to make it. So I am out here for him and a lot other people that were lost. Kanoff ended his attempt with 60 completed naked jumps at, over Weeping Water, Nebraska. Um, his attempt raised money for the Movember Foundation a charity dedicated to men's mental health and suicide prevention. Ah, well that's very awesome. Odd, but awesome. I kind of live for this stuff though, because, yes. I, I, I'm in the mental health field. I love the fact that someone's doing something very out there and something that is memorable in order to help people. That's really awesome, so, yes. Okay, I think this one was weird enough. I had to sift through a few of them. Josh fight. Crowds show up in U.S. Park for a pool noodle battle to win rightful ownership of their name. A 22-year-old na named Josh Swain came up with the idea for the funny fight when boredom set in during the pandemic a year ago. So here on. Hang on, there is a video. I'm gonna play it. If it'll work. Come join the whole world okay. in one place. 90 countries come together. Witness their rich histories and stories come to life. Meet artists and performers, entertainers and this innovators from far and so near. I'm gonna have to just Taste flavors and cuisines from around stuff. the globe and watch ideas and cultures merge before your eyes. Okay. Join the making of a new world. Okay, thanks. Oh, it's just a a regular video. <laughs> They're just fighting each other with pool noodles. It's funny. Okay, well, if I knew that, I wouldn't have actually put that in there, but okay. Hundreds of people turned up <laughs> to a U.S. park for a heated pool noodle brawl to find out who was the rightful owner of the name Josh. 22-year-old named Josh Swain came up with the idea. Funny fight and boredom during the COVID pandemic last year. The student from Arizona messaged other people named Josh on social media and challenged them to a duel. Crowds got stuck into the funny fight in Nebraska's air park. Okay, this also comes from Nebraska, kind of. So, that idea became reality when people turned up in droves at air park in Nebraska, a location chosen at random to participate in the silliness on Saturday. Um, the festivities kicked off with a grueling and righteous battle of rock-paper-scissors between Josh Swain from Arizona and another Josh Swain from Omaha, Nebraska. That's hilarious. 
All right. The Arizona student is reported to have won the competition, allowing him to claim the title of the true Josh Swain. Uh, The subsequent pool noodle competition was open to anyone with a forename Josh and featured fighters in Jedi robes, Spider-Man spandex, among other suitably gladiatorial? Like gladiator? Okay. The gladiator outfits. Yep. Okay. Alright. The winner of that competition was a four-year-old who was uh, coronated with a Burger King crown. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Swain, the originator, said he was surprised about how his idea blew up, adding, uh, I did not expect people to be as adamant about this as they are right now. (laughs) That's actually pretty funny. Okay, I found the holy grail of weird news. So, I found really one really funny one. So, let's bad excuses, drunken brawls and crocodile tears, the best of Florida man in 2018. From the criminal foiled by his own pants to the man who cried or tried to barbecue child molesters, these are some of the most uh outlandish Florida man stories that you will ever read. While there's no shortage of Florida-based antics that populate the news week in week in and week out, there's no denying that the storied Florida man in particular uh, has absolutely redefined what it means to represent the Sunshine State at its worst. While Florida women have had their own share of outlandish activities in 2018, including a few below, the weaker sex when it comes to normalcy in Florida this year has to be the men. Uh, Without further ado, we give you the 2018's most absurd and outrageous Florida man news stories. Okay. Wait, what? Okay, I'm gonna try to find one real quick. There, I thought this was just like one, but <laughs> okay, okay, I found one. Okay, let's uh, let's uh, read this one. Florida man breaks into crocodile enclosure and leaves behind a pair of Crocs. Why? On November sixth, when staff members at a Florida alligator farm entered a crocodile enclosure and saw two floating croc shoes <laughs> and discarded clothing. They were worried. The employees at the Gator Farm Zoological Park in St. Augustine, Florida did not see a victim in the enclosure, but did soon find a trail of blood that reached the top of the 20-foot enclosure. According to the Florida Times Union, they alerted the police right away. Police solved the mystery rather quickly after arresting 23-year-old Brandon Hartfield nearby. Uh, someone had already called 911 and reported a bloody man drip, stripped down to his underwear crawling through a local woman's yard. Why? Uh, surveillance video taken at the enclosure during the time of the break-in also revealed that Hartfield had entered the park at around 7.45 p.m. on November 5th and spent four hours in the exhibit. Uh, in the video, the Florida man can be seen jumping multiple times from the 20-foot enclosure wall into the crocodile pit below. He showed little fear uh, of the three t- 12-foot-long crocodiles inside, one of which lunged at him. Wow, okay. Uh, in the arrest report for Hartfield, an officer noted that Hartfield was sitting on the bank of the pool when a crocodile latched onto his foot. 
Hartfield then frantically began trying to fight off the crocodile and eventually managed to get away. Uh, before staff members at the Alligator Farm Zoological Park were, off, were even aware of the break-in, a neighbor in the area called police after they saw a suspicious man doing a slow, creeping crawl across their property. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> the crawling man turned out to be Harfield, who apparently lost clothes in his nighttime swim and was now nursing crocodile bite injuries. The only thing, the only thing that I could actually try to make this rational was this guy actually watched Free Willy before he decided to go into this crocodile enclosure, right? Okay, and he's like, I could be a friend to animals. And so he decided, crocodiles are always cranky, so maybe I can befriend them and have them have their mood change. I, I, that's the only explanation. I know it's outlandish and silly, but listen, <laughs> maybe this guy just watched Free Willy and was like, hey, I can be a friend to animals too. How? Oh my god. There's a man with only chin shorts crawling, the caller said. He's just crawling on with shorts halfway down his butt and no other clothes. Um, another man in the neighborhood, Jeff Black, reported that he found Hartfield in his yard and was ready to sick his dogs on the nearly naked man, but instead his wife called the police. Oh my god. A little weird to see somebody that early in boxers going over your wall into your property, Black said. Uh -huh. He kept saying, I was held hostage in a pool with gators. He says, yeah, I got bit by alligators. Everybody's looking at him like, okay. He's got to be on something, Black added. Um, after receiving the call from the staff that at the alligator farm, uh, police quickly put two and two together and arrested um, Hatfield. Um, in the arrest report, the Florida man told officers that an old man had alligators on a leash and he was surrounded by all these baby alligators in an old man's garage. He also claimed that the old man was feeding him to his alligators and began forcing him to drink his black concoction. Okay. Uh, it, have I been saying Hartfield instead of Hatfield? His name's Hatfield. Uh, the police did not buy Hatfield's bizarre story and completely discounted it for reviewing the surveillance video. Meanwhile, Alligator Farm director John uh, Bruggen agreed with the neighbor that uh, Hatfield must have been uh, must not have been in his right mind. Uh, <laughs> I would think he's on some sort of drugs, he said. I'm concerned about an individual who literally climbs up a wall that's meant to keep uh, from crocodiles, keep you from crocodiles, and leaps over the wall into the water with them. Yeah. Wow. That was strange. But yeah, that's all for the weird news. Let's go on to world news. I kind of enjoyed that. Maybe I'll just make a one segment of just strange news. Let's do that ad placement real quick. How about it? Next up is Norway. I have some dedicated listeners in Norway, and I just want to give you some love. There you go. Simple as that. Let's go! 
I think I may talk about two topics. There is one. I kind of wanted to make this uh, segment a little bit more lighthearted just because there's negativity everywhere. And I know I talk about very serious and negative things as well, but I feel like if I don't talk about it, then I'm, I'm helping the situation happen, but um, I'll just get into it. I'll talk about both of them, and hopefully I don't offend anybody when I talk about this. So let's just talk about it. This one is the lighthearted one, so no worries about this. Um, Nor or National Museum set to fully reopen. Norway's new consolidated museum of art, architecture, and design will finally open its doors in exactly one year on June 11th, 2022. After repeated delays and snafus, it's been seven years since the preparation and construction began. The six years since some of the some of its treasures disappeared from public view. The new art museum, uh, which is slowly risen on a prime location on Oslo's western waterfront, will be the largest in Nordic in the Nordic region. Um, it will combine the collections of what used to be Norway's. Oh goodness. Kunstin Dustrimusit National Museum of Applied Arts, uh, which closed in 2016. That was a very long word, and I'm very sorry. I, I'm very sure that I mispronounced that. Um, for the former Museum of Contemporary Art, which closed in 2017, the popular National Gallery, which housed Norway's most famed paintings and its own Edvard Munch um, collection until it closed in January 2019. There were protests then too, since the new consolidated museum wasn't due to open at the time until 2020. Few understood why it should take so long to move the National Gallery's collection into the new home on Oslo's western waterfront. There were no plans to display the art anywhere else either, meaning Norwegians haven't seen their most cherished paintings for two and a half years, nor there any plans to lend out some of the museum's treasures to other museums around the world. As commentator Frank Rosovic um, wrote in newspaper uh, Aften Posten last autumn, several would probably have been eager to display the museum's own version of Munch's Scream or some of the magnificent landscapes of Norway's era uh, from Norway's era of national romanticism in the late 1800s. Uh, he's not alone with the with architect Fredrik Torp and art historian Newt. I'm not gonna say his last name. It's L J O with a dash over it. G O. Mm. See, I feel like I'm a quitter if I don't pronounce it at all. So, Newt Lishgont. <laughs> There's probably... My listeners from Norway are probably laughing at me. I'm so sorry. Um, they're also complaining that last fall about the public's utter lack of access to art uh, that in some cases had already been stored away for years. Um, like many others, Torp, set, Torp had opposed shutting down the iconic National Gallery and wanted to quickly reopen. Instead, it's still sitting dark, abandoned, and forlorn and no updated plans about its future use. The museum has meanwhile been receiving generous funding from taxpayers uh, it costs more than six billion uh, to build Rosovic noted that it was outlocated excuse me I gotta let my husband in 
My husband's home. <laughs> He's looking at me like, don't, don't, don't say that. They don't even know. <laughs> anyway, I lost my place. The museum has, meanwhile, been receiving generous funding from taxpayers. It must, it costs more than, um, six billion. Uh, it would be seven hundred and twenty-three million in U.S. dollars to build. Rosovic noted that it was allocated uh, eight hundred and eighty-one million, or a hundred million in U.S. dollars, in the state budget for this year alone. Even though it, <laughs> even though it hasn't even been open, museum staff and consultants hired in have been busy finally moving its art into place from secret storage venues. Uh, but if that's what it costs to run a museum that's closed, you can only wonder what it will cost when it opens, mused Rosovic. Uh, there's also been lots of criticism about its massive dark gray box-like structure looming behind the historic building. Uh, that now houses the Nobel Peace Center just across this city hall. The National Museum is adorned only with a new logo that has confused quite a few members of the public since it cryptically contains only a capital letter N followed by an A then an M that are mysteriously cut in half. Okay. Um, the result noted art commentator Agnes Moxnes, the state broadcaster NRK means only or means many people uh, may start calling the National Museum of Norway <laughs> as simply NAM. It's become trendy among museums in Norway and elsewhere to suddenly- oh. Excuse you! Excuse you! <laughs> Let me finish this article real quick. <laughs> um, Norway and elsewhere to suddenly become acronyms like, uh, MoMA. Bro! I gotta go into another room for this dude! <laughs> Like MoMA in New York, uh, or Co Code in Bergen. Alright. Uh, once inside, however, much of the criticism is likely to fall silent, even, uh, even when it is still under construction. It was an impressive place with spacious exhibit areas topped by the so-called Light Hall for temporarily, temporary exhibitions. <sighs> I had to run in here. <laughs> that eventually leads out to a large roof terrace with unique views over the city, the adjacent harbor, and historic uh, Akershush, Akershush fortress and castle just across the water. Karen Heinspo, the Danish director of the museum, um, whose hand, who's had to fend off complaints over all the delays and stashed away art, said the public will be invited to come inside even while art is still being mounted and before its official opening. Uh, free pre-book tours will be offered as soon as coronavirus-related restrictions are eased. All right. That is the one lighthearted article. I will go ahead and read the next one. Um, so yes, I wasn't planning on doing like two for Norway, but I feel like I should talk about the other one, so. Alright, this next one is straight from Norway, uh, the one that I feel like I should touch upon just because I feel like it's important. 
Um, let's read it. Refugee toddler's remains confirmed. A mystery around the remains of a little boy found washed up on the coast of Karmoy, Western Norway. I'm pretty sure I mispronounced Karmoy. Maybe, maybe not. I'm sorry. Uh, last winter was finally solved on Monday. The Sorvest Police Police District identified him after a five-month investigation as Artin Iranizad, the youngest member of a family of five who all drowned while being smuggled in a boat over the English Channel from France to Great Britain last autumn. Let's see. The story is tragic, but... Now it's at last good to be able to provide the child's relatives with an answer, stated Camilla Tijel Wage, who led the investigation and tracing of the child's DNA. The child's remains were found on New Year's Day by local fishermen who led police to sight to the site of what was first thought to simply be a child's winter playsuit. The remote location for such a discovery uh, had raised questions, though, uh, and police could soon determine that more than just clothing uh, had washed ashore. That's, that's sad. Uh, there had been no reports of a missing child on Carmoy in the surrounding Rogaland region or in all of Norway. Speculation rose that the child must have been swept ashore even though the nearest land across the Northern Sea or the North Sea is either Great Britain, Shetland, or Greenland. The dead child was in fact the youngest of three being smuggled in their or with their parents and other refugees in a boat over the English Channel when a storm arose and the boat capsized on October 27, 2020. The family was Kurdish, fleeing oppression in Iran and had made it as far as uh, Calais in France. The bodies of the four others were recovered, but not uh, little Artins. After an autopsy, DNA testing, cooperation with Norway State Police Unit, uh, Kripos, and Interpol Police were able, able uh, to connect Artin to the family and also discover that he had a great aunt living in the Oslo area who had fled Iraq 11 years ago with the help of photos including one showing Artin in the navy blue red navy blue and red playsuit police uh, made a positive identification his body had been carried on currents for more than a thousand kilometers and had been in the water for 67 days. The poor baby. Um, state broadcaster NRK uh, has produced a documentary external link to the photos with the family in Norwegian on the tragedy that's not unique. Wait, what? I'm sorry. State Broadcast NRK has produced a documentary on the tragedy that's not unique. The body of Syrian refugee in a wetsuit uh, who also tried to cross the English Channel from France to England was found washed up in a beach near Lista in Norway's southern coast in 2015. Newspaper uh, Dagbledet reported uh, he had tried to swim from France to England. I see. Let's see. Yep. And that was the other story that I wanted to cover just because when it comes to the, the like news of children 
and stuff like that, I have a soft spot for. I have to talk about it. So, um, I hope the family that I've lost, Artin, I really hope and pray that you guys are doing alright. I know, beyond imagination, like, I know you guys aren't doing okay right now, but I hope that, um, it'll get better for you guys. Okay. Alright, I'm- I'm mad. I'm gonna try to reread this, and if it don't happen, then it don't happen. Because Anchor doesn't like the fact that I switch pages every so often while I'm recording, but I have to. There's no other way I can do this. So, let's try this again. Alright. Let's go back to Firefox. And just go back to the amp. Okay. Why is France lifting COVID curfew and mask rules early? Alright. June 9th. Um, if the page would stop moving. Uh, France reached phase three of the reopening plan with bars, restaurants, cafes reopening. Uh, their indoor spaces and curfew moving back to 11 p.m. The fourth stage, which will see the curfew scrapped entirely, was initially scheduled for June 30th, while earlier this week, Director General of Health Jerome Salomon told um, RTL Radio that the uh, requirement to wear masks outdoors Outdoor in outdoor spaces could be lifted as soon as July 1st uh, But on Wednesday the PM Announced both rules would end earlier than planned with the curfew that has been in place Since December to end on Sunday whilst wearing masks outdoors Would no longer be obligatory from Thursday uh so that made it possible for restrictions to be lifted earlier than scheduled. Um, low incident rate. So, case numbers and hospital uh, numbers continue to fall sharply. And for the first time since August 2020, the national uh, incidence level cases per 100,000 of the population is below 50 um, as shown on the map below which you cannot see I'm sorry that I read that <laughs> um, except for a few departments including Pyrenees and the I, I, I let me do this Pyrenees Atlanticus Pyrenees Atlanticus the Paris region and the Overseas Department of Guyane, Guyane um, most of France is now green. Yay. Uh, the average number of daily COVID-19 cases is down 3,881 and 40% decreased uh, in just one week. In early April, they were made up of 40,000 each day. So, the number of daily deaths has dropped down to 55 to 17 percent, um, decrease in a week. Yay! 1,952 people in intensive care compared to 6,000 in the early April. Successful vaccine rollout. Y'all know how I feel about the vaccine, but we're gonna read it anyways because it's part of the article. Um, after a slow start, France's vaccine rollout has sped up to recent weeks, uh, with more than 55 or 550,000 uh, people getting vaccinated um, most days. 45% of adults have received at least one dose of the vaccine, whilst uh, just over 23% are completely vaccinated. It is unclear that the level or what the level of cover is needed to really impact the spread of infections, but with 
COVID rates low and vaccines being administered at a good pace, the government will be confident of avoiding any significant rebound from relaxing certain measures early. Okay. What else does it say? Anchor has been really upsetting me lately, so I'm doing my best just to kind of um, trying to get the news out without it disappearing after I record it. So, um, difficulties policing the 11 p.m. curfew. As people enjoy a warm summer evening uh, in bars and cafes, the police have been have been struggling to enforce the 11 p.m. curfew, which has gradually been pushed back since the 6 p.m. curfew during um, January and February. The past week has been or has seen people detained uh, and officers using tear gas to disperse hundreds of young Parisians, Parisians gathered in the streets in defiance of the curfew. See, those are my people. People don't need a curfew. Um, last weekend, a gathering in the lawns in front of the Invalides uh, Museum in Paris, probably mispronounced that, as a third party at the site since Thursday. Other mass parties had to be broken up by police, in the Tuileries gardens and the banks of the river Seine, as young people, young, as young people, Jesus, enjoyed warm evenings. All right, sports tournaments have also been sticking to the curfew. Increasing, also found that sticking to the curfew is getting increasingly difficult. Um, tennis fans watching the men's semi-final at the French Open were given a special disp dispensation um, to stay out after curfew, but the government said there would be no more exceptions. On Tuesday, bars were packed with people watching the Euro 2020 football match between France and Germany, which started at 9 p.m. and ended shortly before 11 p.m., which meant the streets were busy with fans returning home after the curfew, mask-wearing in the heat. Let's see. With France in the middle of an early summer heat wave and temperatures set to reach 33 degrees Celsius on Wednesday, mask-wearing outdoors has become increasingly uncomfortable, with many choosing not to wear it in the street at all. Some Scientists have argued that the wearing a mask outdoors where a risk of transmission is very low is unnecessary. Um, but what about the Delta variant? Good lord. <sighs> Despite the worrying Delta variant causing the UK to postpone its lifting of lockdown restrictions, Francis is still at a number of low COVID-19 cases linked to the variant. Health Minister Oliver Varane revealed this week that between 2% and 4% of French cases are linked to the variant. However, he warned that was also the case of a few weeks in the UK. Authorities fear the Delta variant could become dominant in France, but there are reasons to be optimistic. Not least the fact that France's vaccine rollout is on schedule. I'm kind of glad that the French people are starting to get a more sense of normalcy. It's really good to hear, um, like I said, I'm not for the vaccine, but if you take it, I don't hate you. So, um... I'm just really happy for France. I'm glad you guys are starting to, you know, go back and go out and eat and be
be social. That's what humans do. We're supposed to be social. We're supposed to be out there talking to each other. We're not supposed to be holed up in our houses. And so I'm kind of glad that France is starting to get back on track with that. And I haven't talked about Kenya in a very long time. Um, we have people in our ministry that are very close to people in Kenya, so we want to be able to cover some news in their region as well, just to, you know, get people to be enlightened in what's going on in their world and in their country as well. So let's get into it. Gunmen kidnap six top civil servants in Cameroon. Alright, gunmen have kidnapped at least six senior civil servants in Cameroon, authorities said. The abductions happened in Prime Minister uh, Joseph Dion Negute's native Nidan division in the English-speaking southwest region of the country on Tuesday. These seniors... Uh, divisional officer, the SDO for Nadan Lawrence Forwang confirmed the abductions which took place Tuesday by kidnap kidnappers uh, he described as secessionist terrorists. He said the terrorists are demanding tens of millions of Central African CFA francs um, as ransom. The abductees uh, include the divisional delegates in the ministries of the economy, housing and urban development, water and energy resources, state property and land uh, tenure, small and medium-sized enterprises, and the divisional chief of taxes for Nidan Division. One of the abductees is a woman. Abducted officials. The SDO said the civil servants were on an official mission to demarcate land demarcate yeah demarcate land for an electricity supply plant project uh, in the area mr. Forwang said he has been in contact with one of the captives okay despite condemning the action the administrative officer told Cameroon's daily newspaper the Guardian Post that all was being done to ensure that the abducted officials were set free. Cameroon's English-speaking Northwest and Southwest regions have been gripped by a five-year-long deadly separatist conflict. More than 3,000 people have been killed and about 700,000 have been forced to flee their homes since the crisis morphed into an armed conflict in 2017. There has been mounting international pressure for a ceasefire in the regions which the government in 2019 declared as economically damaged. Visa restrictions. Uh, last week, a USA announced, or the USA announced, visa restrictions on individuals believed to be undermining a peaceful resolution of the armed conflict, saying Washington was deeply concerned by the um, continued violence in the Anglophone regions of the Central African country. We continue to call for both the Cameroonian government and the separatists, separatists, armed groups to end the violence and engage in a dialogue without predictions to preconditions to peacefully resolve the crisis. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said... In a statement, we've talked about Blinken before in Persecution Press, so that's interesting. Um, he said that the U.S. supports the Cameroonian people and remains committed to working together to advance democracy and mutual prosperity for both countries. We condemn those who undermine peace through engaging in or enticing violence, human rights violations, abuses, and threats against advocates for peace or humanitarian workers, Mr. Blinken said in a statement. So yes, um, I hope these 
I have to gather my thoughts after talking. <laughs> um, no, I really hope that people who have been captured, those officials, um, will be able to get home very, very soon. And, uh, cause it's not a very good predicament that they're in and I really hope that they'll be able to come home to their families very soon. That is all for Rogue News today. Thank you very much for listening. I will see you in the trenches next time. Love you. Bye.